Time for Swordplay. Alex, we're still living under global pandemic, and the Christian Post is reporting that nearly half of churchgoers say they haven't watched online services in the last four weeks. What do you make of these Christians playing digital hooky? Well, Nick, according to my friends in the mathematical modeling world, initial projections were that 99% of churchgoers would miss online services. And at this time, a broad definition of watched is being used to count the numbers. So if you watched services online but not live, then you counted as missing church. If you watched but didn't watch where two or three were gathered together, you counted as missing. And if you watched without wearing a mask, you were arrested and then counted as missing. You know, Nick, modeling works. Hmm. Trust the numbers. Trust the numbers. Trust the plan. Well, <clears throat> this <laughs> oh, is... Oh, you said it. <laughs> this is Swordplay. We are your hosts. I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California. I'm Alex Flood. I'm an evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this is season three of the Swordplay podcast. Welcome to season three. Season three. And we're, I guess, taking a little different approach uh, than previous seasons because we're going to kick things off with a uh, kind of a topical study as we talk about the angel of Yahweh. And it's a doozy of a topic. There's quite a bit to cover, and so really we can just overview some of these verses and then sort of share our own conclusions as to who this figure is. So the angel of Yahweh. Uh, and I think to get us started out, Nick, what are the key texts where one can read about the angel of Yahweh? So I've I've kind of uh, split these up into two categories of kind of thinking of, of them. Um, I call it, and these are just kind of arbitrary terms, I guess, conspicuous texts and less conspicuous texts. Uh, there are texts where uh, the angel of Yahweh really stands out, and then there are texts where maybe it's not so evident as these other texts. Uh, so uh, kind of the conspicuous text would be Genesis 16, verses 7 through 14. Also, I forgot to include there Genesis 21. Hagar actually has the angel of Yahweh show up to her twice. Kind of interesting. Uh, Exodus 3 is a big one. And then Judges 6, and all, uh, chapter 6, and also chapter 13. Those are kind of the big texts. Also, and I forgot to include this too, Zechariah has a bit about the angel of Yahweh. And then kind of the less conspicuous texts, I would include like Genesis twenty-two fifteen. 15. Uh, it's the angel of Yahweh, not just an angel, but the angel of Yahweh who stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Numbers 22, verses 22 through 35. Joshua 5, 13 through 15, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 7, 2 Samuel 24, verse 16, and also you got to include in there uh, the kind of the parallel passage, 1 Chronicles uh, 21, and then also Daniel chapter 7, where, well, we'll talk about that in more detail. Right. So, so those are kind of the, the, the texts in the Old Testament. And it's a long uh, set of texts. It is. There's a lot of information. Yeah. So let's dig into some of these one by one and just sort of uh, overview each one of these. What do we learn about the angel of the Lord? Um, maybe starting in Genesis 16, Nick, what do we see there? Well, in Genesis 16, 7 through 14, this is the account where Hagar runs out. She has to flee from Abram's house because Sarah, Sarai has been mistreating her. 
And so she's out by a spring of water, and that's when the angel of Yahweh finds her and converses with her, tells her, you got to go back to Abram's house. And he gives her a promise concerning her child. And, and as a result of her conversation with the angel of Yahweh, Hagar worships Yahweh. Uh, so let's just go down the list. Uh, Exodus yeah. 3. <laughs> Well, you said, okay, so Hagar runs into the angel of Yahweh in Genesis 16. You said that also happens again in Genesis 21? If I'm not mistaken, uh, she has another appearance. He appears to her again Wow. in chapter 21. So I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten I mean, about that one. Yeah. It's, so, uh, yeah. What, verses 8 and following? Yep. There it is. So, yeah. Special. I mean... Abraham doesn't have that happen, right? Genesis 22 is the only instance right. where... Yeah. Um, I mean, he gets the word of Yahweh in chapter 15. But anyway. Genesis 21, 17. God heard yeah. the lad crying. Uh, I think that's Ishmael, right? And then the mm-hmm. angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Okay, yeah. So there it is. Two times. Very nice. Nice. Special. It is. Exodus, Exodus 3, the angel of Yahweh. Of course, this is, this is the burning bush incident. The angel of Yahweh appears to Moses from the burning bush. Verse 2 tells us that. And, and that's something that's confirmed by uh, Stephen in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verse 30, as he's given his last, uh, last lecture, as it were, before he is martyred. He says it's an angel. Uh, the text in Exodus says the angel of Yahweh. Uh, however, in verse 4, we are told that Yahweh sees Moses and then God called him from out of the bush. Hmm. So we're left kind of with this question, the reader is, who spoke to Moses? Was it the angel of Yahweh or was it Yahweh? And perhaps more pointed, who's in the bush? Is it the angel of Yahweh or is it Yahweh? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Judges 6 um, Similar to Moses, the angel of Yahweh appears to Gideon, speaks to him in verses 11 through 13. However, in verse 14, it is Yahweh who turns and speaks to Gideon. So who commissions Gideon? Is it the angel of Yahweh or is it Yahweh? Mm -hmm. And then Judges 13, kind of the last one of the, the conspicuous text, the angel of Yahweh appears to Manoah's wife to tell him that they have a... Uh, They're going to have a son, Samson. He will judge Israel. Well, Manoah hears about this. He wants to meet this man of God. That's how he describes him. And he prays to Yahweh about that. And then God hears and sends again the angel of Yahweh. And Manoah prepares an offering to Yahweh. But it is the angel of Yahweh who seems to accept the worship. And then Manoah interprets the whole episode as an appearance from God, Yahweh. Uh, 13 verse 22 says that. Are they the ones uh, who are surprised they aren't dead? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. So uh, they, That's right. They figured, I just saw God, why am I not dead? Exactly. Yeah. So, so perhaps more than just an angel going on here, but uh, keep going. Yeah, we're, we're left to wonder who appeared to Manoah and his wife. Was it the angel of Yahweh or was it Yahweh himself? Uh, so, so that's the last of kind of the the, the big major texts. So mm-hmm. uh, let's start going through uh, some of those less conspicuous examples. Genesis twenty two. Start at the beginning, right? Um, it is the angel of Yahweh 
as I mentioned, who stops Abraham's hand, which is prepared to sacrifice Isaac. And what is noteworthy is that God spoke to Abraham first in verses 1 and 2. It's God who says, go and you know, go and sacrifice Isaac and all that. Right. But then it is the angel of Yahweh in verse 15 who calls to Abraham a second time from heaven. So yet again, we're going, well, okay, who, well, who called Abraham? Who called was it God? <laughs> yeah, who called? Right. Was it God? And then, or was it the angel of Yahweh? Right. So right. Uh, you're, you're hopefully constant listener. You're starting to get the pattern here, and there's more to the pattern. But uh, Alex, I believe you also have another uh, instance in the Old Testament concerning the angel of Yahweh. Yeah, there's uh, one in Genesis 31. And so we tried to keep these chronological for you. So if you wanted to flip through your Bible, you could. Uh, So Genesis 31, verses 11 through 13. In a dream, the angel of God says to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel referring back to Jacob's encounter with Yahweh in Genesis 28, verse 13, where in another dream of Jacob that Jacob has, it says, Behold, Yahweh stood above it, referring to the ladder going up to heaven. Have you ever heard of Jacob's ladder? It's probably more like a stairway to heaven. Uh, And said, Behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. So it doesn't say the angel of the Lord stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, as if he's speaking on behalf of Yahweh. But it says, Yahweh stood above it, said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. So what this does is it fuses the angel of God in Genesis 31, verses 11 through 13, with Yahweh in Genesis 28, verse 13. It fuses them together, the angel of God and Yahweh. Another reference to that instance of uh, Jacob finding Yahweh at Bethel is in the book of Hosea, chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, which also incorporates the account of Jacob wrestling with this mysterious man who ends up being God. We see that in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 30. Jacob says on that account that he had seen God face to face. But if you go back to Hosea 12, it says it was the angel. But in that same verse in Hosea, it says, this is the one who Jacob found at Bethel. So again, this fusing of these two characters. At the end of Jacob's life, when he blesses Joseph's sons, uh, Genesis 48 verses 15 through 16, he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me for, from all evil, bless the lads. Now, if you were looking at the Hebrew, that word bless, you would expect it to be plural grammatically because he just mentioned two people, God and the angel. But it's not. In the Hebrew, the word bless for bless the lads, it's grammatically singular, which means that grammatical the grammatical structure of the Hebrew fuses God and the angel together. So that's kind of strange as well if you were expecting them to be separate entities, but they're not. They are seen as one uh, singular entity. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh, but in visible form, which is why people can see him and not die 
and they're surprised that they didn't die because apparently you're supposed to die if you see the invisible Yahweh. But then he's invisible, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> so it's a string of a string of texts, though, interrelated. Genesis 31, Genesis 28, Hosea 12, Genesis 48. Well, what else do you have, Nick? Well, it's interesting, um, kind of that singular entity idea, because when you get to Numbers 22, verses 22 through 35, um, that of course, this, of course, is the instance where Balak summons Balaam to come and curse Israel for him. And uh, God finally acquiesces because Balaam wants to go, but then God is angry with Balaam for going to Balak. Uh, again, who wants him to curse Israel. So God sends the angel of Yahweh to cut down Balaam, but his donkey, which sees the angel, prevents Mm -hmm. that from happening, prevents Balaam from getting killed. And then Yahweh speaks through the donkey and then opens Balaam's eyes to see the angel of Yahweh. And from this account, it seems pretty evident that Yahweh and the angel of Yahweh are two distinct beings. Right. Uh, you have the angel in front of him, and then Yahweh speaking to the donkey. So, uh, hmm, the plot thickens. <laughs> That's right. Um, Joshua. Side, side note, <laughs> isn't it strange that the donkey could see the angel of the Lord? I wonder if animals can see things that we can't see. That was a total side note. Throwing it out there. I'm trying to think if there's another instance where something similar to that happens. Well, remember uh, when we covered the apocryphal uh, book of Tobit? Right. And uh, Raphael is, you know, in disguise as a human, uh, and he brings along a dog. It's like, huh. It's like, why why this little faithful companion here on the trip to uh, take care of a demon? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay, whatever. Uh, Joshua. Moving on. Joshua Joshua chapter (laughs) 5. Yeah, sidebar. Uh, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I think it also goes into chapter 6 as well. But um, another very inconspicuous account of the angel of Yahweh because in this account he is styled as the commander of the army of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. I actually think this, this account's pretty important. Uh, it's very interesting because Joshua, he bows down to the angel at this incident. Right. And according to Revelation 19, verse 10, and 22, verse 8, uh, that's a big no-no. Hmm. You don't bow down to angels. In fact, angels will correct you if you do that. Unless this was no normal angel. Uh, you see, in this account, the angel tells Joshua to remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Where have I heard that before? Oh, that's exactly like the angel of the Lord had told Moses in the scene at the burning bush. And uh, something interesting is going on between the Masoretic text and the Septuagint here as well. So in the Masoretic text, Joshua asks the angel, uh, are you for us or for our adversaries? Because he doesn't know who he is yet. To which the angel says, no, I come as the captain of the host of Yahweh. Uh, so why do he say no? It's just like, well, yeah, he is for you. He's, he's Yahweh's for you, he's for you. So I always thought that was strange. But the angel's response in the Septuagint is slightly different. He says uh, in the Septuagint, I, the commander of the army of the Lord, now am here. (laughs) So I like that much better. Makes more sense to me. Of course he's on their side. He's here to save the day. Now I am here. (laughs) Well, uh, was Joshua expecting him? I mean, why would he say that? I think, yes. I think Joshua was expecting him. Moses said, 
that Yahweh would go before them, cross the Jordan, and uh, be ahead of them to destroy their enemies. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 3. So uh, Joshua asks the next logical question, what are your orders, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. We might come back to that later in another account. But uh, what else have we got, Nick? Well, Judges chapter 2. Okay, so things, the, the wheels start coming off the bus for the nation of Israel in Judges, and early on they have a visit from the angel of Yahweh, and the angel of Yahweh claims to be the one who brought Israel out of Egypt and promised never to break his covenant with Israel. And this causes the people to sacrifice to Yahweh. And again, the question the reader is left with is, wait a minute, who brought Israel out of Egypt? Was it Yahweh or was it the angel of Yahweh? First mm-hmm. Kings 19, verses 1 through 7, Elijah, running for his life, prays to Yahweh that he die at Mount Horeb, and the angel of Yahweh appears to him. First, he's just called an angel, and then we get the full name, the angel of Yahweh. Uh, he feeds Elijah, and then feeds him again, and then the word of Yahweh comes to Elijah in verse 9, and then Yahweh passes by Elijah as he stands on the mount in verse 11, and then Yahweh speaks to him in verse 15. So another angelic uh, angel of Yahweh, another angelic visit here. But then also you have Yahweh who's kind of passing by in this very dramatic way. Yeah, another blurring of identity. That's right. And that's the pattern we see. Uh, the phrase, the word of Yahweh, as mentioned in First uh, Kings 19 with Elijah, the word of Yahweh came to Elijah. Normally we think of that phrase as being just simply an auditory experience. But when you put it parallel to the angel of the Lord in that Elijah incidence, it serves as another pattern. We see other accounts where the word of Yahweh is appearing to people. This is a visual experience I think people are having. Key word being appearing. They see the word And so in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 5, it says, The word of Yahweh came to Abraham in a vision. So what do you do do in a vision? Well, visions are for seeing. And then it says in the vision, the word of Yahweh who came to Abraham brings Abraham outside. So there's some sort of physicality involved in that. So he, the word of Yahweh, brings Abraham outside. It seems the word of Yahweh was not just an auditory experience, like I said, but a visual one as well. Hmm. And the word became flesh, became visible, dwelt among us. I wonder why I've heard that somewhere. Hmm. Well, pump the brakes. Pump the well, brakes. Uh, also, <laughs> let's, let's, let's see what else we got here. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21, it says that Yahweh appeared again at Shiloh and revealed himself to Samuel through the word of Yahweh. Hmm. So again, this appearing and revealing is more than auditory. It's visual, and this is how Yahweh was revealed to Samuel. And so everyone knew that Samuel was a prophet because of the word of Yahweh appearing, revealing, coming to Samuel over and over again. Well, what else do you got, Nick? Uh, good connections there. Second um, Samuel chapter 24 in the parallel account in First Chronicles 21. The, the whole chapter can kind of be a tough text. Um, a Bible difficulty, right? right. Um, first, uh, was it Yahweh or was it Satan who incited David into conducting a military census? Well, it depends on 
which account you're reading and um, to work through that particular tough text we'll have to do that another time because what we're after is <laughs> Yahweh sends pestilence in verse 15 but it is the angel of Yahweh who executes the order in verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 24 and when the number of the dead is enough, Yahweh tells the angel of Yahweh, it is finished. Okay, not really. That's not really what he says. But <laughs> he does tell him, okay, you got to stop, uh, which is especially noteworthy. Uh, what is especially noteworthy here is that in Second uh, Samuel twenty four eleven, the word of Yahweh came to Gad. And then in First Chronicles 21, verse 18, it is the angel of Yahweh who commanded Gad. And so you have here another connection, like you were talking about, Alex. You're about saying the, uh, Gad the prophet, G-A-D, right? That's right. You're not Gad. like a Boston or a, a Northeasterner yeah. saying Gad. Yeah, he talked to Gad. Yeah, no, pray to Gad. He, uh, Gad is a prophet. And uh, as you were talking about, there's a parallel here between the word of Yahweh and the angel of Yahweh again. So you have here, as in other places, that equation, Word of God, or Word of Yahweh and Angel of Yahweh. And the plot thickens even more when later, Second Chronicles 3.1, you're reading along there, and it's talking about how Yahweh appeared to David at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. But when you go back and you look at First Chronicles 21.16, it says, David saw the Angel of Yahweh. And so once again... Who did David see at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite? Was it Yahweh or was it the angel of Yahweh? That's right. Well, and I think an important side note, too, is that uh, the word angel um, is not describing uh, someone's uh, status or their actual like ontological being, like what they are. Angel is a job description. It's describing what they are doing. It's they're bringing a message, and so, um, you know, not all angels are equal because angels just describe someone who's bringing a message. But the one who's bringing a message, you know, might be uh, someone pretty high up in the heavenly hierarchy, right? You, and so, there's different different scenarios that are there because angel is just a description of what they are doing at the moment, their job, they're bringing a message. You know, an interesting uh, theme runs through some of these angel of the Lord incidents. Uh, several of the accounts uh, that you went through, they mention the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, holding a sword. When uh, Balaam sees, his, uh, sees the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, his sword is drawn. He's drawn out, ready to strike him down. When Joshua encounters the angel of the Lord, uh, he's holding a sword. Uh, when David sees the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth above Jerusalem, the angel's sword is drawn out. And so you have this continual picture of he's, he's the commander of all the uh, heavenly armies, the heavenly hosts. He stands out with his sword. He comes for execution uh, and for judgment. And so um, this is a pretty important angel if he's in charge of judgment. In the David account, the angel is also called, though, here's another pattern, the destroying angel. So if you go back and look at 1 Chronicles 21.15, it calls him the destroying angel, which links that angel to two other accounts. First, the destroying angel is related to the Exodus. Yahweh says in the 10th plague, when he destroys all the firstborn, that he'll not let 
the destroyer come into the homes of the Israelites when they practice that first Passover. It's Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. So that person is called the destroyer, just like in the David account, the destroying angel. Yet Yahweh uh, is the one who is said to have destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. You get that in Psalm 135, verses 5 and 8. So who destroyed the firstborn of Egypt? Was it the destroying angel or was it Yahweh? Uh, another account of a destroying angel uh, is when the angel of the Lord is sent to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Doesn't one night. You get that in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, and 2 Chronicles 32, verse 21. So again, uh, I mentioned both of those parallel accounts because one calls him the angel of the Lord and the other one uh, talks about how he was sent to destroy them. And so uh, very interesting, interesting parallels going on here. So maybe not every single angel has the power to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. But if we're talking about the commander of the army of the hosts, the one who is the prince of princes, as we'll see in uh, Daniel here in a moment, Perhaps he's a bit more powerful than your average angel because he's ontologically different than other angels. Uh, Nick, why don't you bring us into the book of Daniel? Daniel itself is um, an interesting book simply from, if we're talking about angelology, right? I mean, that there are, there are a bunch of angels, angels all over the place in the book of Daniel. Uh, some named, some not named. And so, I mean, we could spend, you know, a whole episode just on angels and Daniel. I want us to zero in, uh, I want to zero in, and then, uh, Alex, you have a text you want to zero in on as well in Daniel. Um, Daniel 7, <clears throat> verses 13 and 14. This is, a, this is a really obscure reference, I think, to the angel of Yahweh because the phrase, the angel of Yahweh, is not present. However... One like a son of man has characteristics which echo the angel of Yahweh. Um, he is uh, first. He first of all has a human appearance. Right. Uh, like a son of man actually echoes Manoah's man of God reference way back in Judges thirteen. Uh, he's nameless, uh, and again this echoes the Manoah exchange back in. Uh, Judges 13, verses 17 and 18, when he, <clears throat> Manoah, asks, what is, uh, what is your name? The angel of Yahweh's answer is, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Uh, the one like a son of man has heavenly association. Daniel is witnessing a throne room scene, and uh, this echoes Genesis 22, verse 15, where the angel speaks. Uh, he came from heaven, and uh, then also this angel executes that's, that's the where judgment. The throne room of, is the throne room is in heaven. That's right. That's right. right. Uh, the, the the this angel executes the or the the one like a son of man, I should say, executes the judgment of Yahweh, the ancient one. Verse fourteen uh, talks about how he's going to have dominion, and he's going to. So that echoes, I think, what we were talking about with the angel of Yahweh executing divine judgment in David's day. Well, and this and so, one, like uh, the Son of Man, he uh, he's the one who comes in riding on a cloud, right? That's right. In Daniel 7. So he's the cloud rider, but you have other verses that talk about Yahweh is the cloud rider. He's the one who comes in riding on a cloud to judge Egypt, to judge nations. But if Yahweh is the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, 
then who's the cloud rider coming before the throne to receive right. all dominion? It's the one like of son of man. It's uh, this uh, figure who is given divine uh, dominion to judge all of uh, creation, all of the earth. Uh, go ahead. So there, there are these very strong parallels between one like a son of man and the angel of Yahweh. Right. But then also, as you're pointing out, the son of man, or the one like a son of man and even Yahweh. Right. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, again, mentioning these angels, uh, is the angel of Yahweh elsewhere in Daniel? Perhaps, because both Nebuchadnezzar in 328 and then Daniel in 622 talk about how God sent his angel. God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who sent his angel, is what Nebuchadnezzar says in 328. Daniel says, my God sent his angel in 622. Right. And they acknowledge... Apparently, that the Hebrew God, Yahweh, has an angel, a specific angel, uh, singular. Right. Um, and of course, in the former account uh, that we were looking at, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, uh, that being shows up, uh, the being that shows up is like a son of the gods. Um, uh, excuse me, in, in Daniel three twenty eight, he is like the son of the gods. That's how Nebuchadnezzar sees him. In, in the, the furnace. fiery furnace, yeah, yeah, he is with, there's in, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one like a son of the gods, which, while it's different, it does sound very similar to Daniel 7's one like a son of man. Um, but uh, at any rate, right. So th- these could be references to the angel of Yahweh, and you've also made a connection in Daniel, right, Alex? Right. And uh, side note, when the uh, three youths are in the fire and then this fourth figure is seen, I really like how we covered in the Septuagint version of Daniel uh, from the Apocrypha. You get this extra detail that the angel of Yahweh came down and through a mighty wind blew the fire away from the the three youths and created this like dome of uh, uh, with with which they were safe from the fire, and it was it says it describes it like the whistling of the wind and a cool mist that was around them, and so it says when they came out of that, they didn't even smell like fire. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. <laughs> so hmm. I just like that imagery that we get from the Septuagint because it uh, paints just this really awesome image that. Hopefully one day we'll be uh, made with CGI and we can watch a movie about it or something. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm going to throw in Daniel chapter 8. Uh, if we look at verse 11, it says uh, Daniel has this vision, and in the vision there's a little horn which exalts itself uh, equal to the Lord of hosts, which is the same underlying Hebrew, that phrase Lord of hosts. That's the same exact Hebrew phrase used in Joshua 5.14, when Joshua encounters the captain of the host of Yahweh. So Lord of hosts, captain of the host, same underlying Hebrew. So that's the first connection we see to the angel of the Lord in Daniel 8. Uh, Next, this kind of builds on top of that, the angel or archangel Gabriel is ordered to explain the vision to Daniel. So question, who's the one ordering Gabriel around, right? Gabriel's obviously an important angel. Uh, but he's receiving orders. He's he's receiving order. Who's giving the orders? Uh, it's probably, I think, the 
figure we see in Daniel 10 and Daniel 12, someone described as the man in linen. Now, it's obviously not a normal man because of other things that I'll describe in a second, but the man in linen is not identified as Gabriel. Gabriel is identified in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, I think, as well. So why would the man in linen be Gabriel if it doesn't say it's Gabriel? It's not Gabriel. So the man in linen uh, is in chapter 10 and chapter 12, not identified as Gabriel. It can't be Michael, right? The archangel Michael, because the man in linen said, hey, I was fighting against the prince of Persia. I was actually going to come straight to you, but I got held up fighting the prince of Persia for, what do you say, 21 days? Was mm-hmm. yep. And he says, until uh, your prince, one of the princes, the, the archangel Michael, came and backed me up. And so the man in linen is not Michael. The man in linen is not Gabriel. So who is he? Well, the description of the man in linen and the reaction of Daniel fainting when he sees the man in linen, that parallels almost on every single point the experience that John has in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 when John encounters the heavenly form of Jesus where it describes the man with the golden sash or the golden belt and the fiery eyes and the bronze limbs and so forth. Almost point for point, an exact same description. So the man in linen, I think, is actually the commander of the host of Yahweh. He's the one who gives orders to Gabriel. He's the one that Michael comes and backs up. And he's the one that the little horn will exalt himself to oppose and say, I'm equal to. And uh, he's the one who was fighting with the prince of Persia. And his physical description matches Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. So more angel of the Lord stuff that I throw out there from Daniel. What else do we have, Nick? Well, I think that's going to do it for all the, I mean, just kind of a jet tour through the Old Testament there. To That was pretty uh, fast. There was a lot of a lot of passages. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't even touch Zechariah. Like I said, I, I totally I forgot spaced about on Zechariah. that. Till yeah. right before the show. But, what chapter is that in again in Zechariah? Uh, I think there's. He, I think the angel of the Lord appears in chapter one and also chapter three. Just off the top of my head, right? Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's there too. And but here's the thing. Bottom line is, and and we've been trying to tease this out as we've been going along. Um, the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh, while they are distinct um, beings, they are also identified with one another. And I guess we're starting that's to spill right. over into kind of the theories here. But, <laughs> that's um, right. But uh, that's something that comes out here is, is um, uh, you know, again and again the question comes, well, who's, who's really doing what here and what's going on? Is yeah. it the angel of Yahweh? Is it Yahweh? Is it and so, well, and it's weird that that's the pattern too, right? Because if they weren't supposed to be identified as being the same, then why do you have this pattern that it looks like it intentionally does that over and over and over again? I mean, these were yeah. these writers were smart enough to make the distinction between who's who, but because they intentionally blur it, that gives you a theological message, the message that hey. This angel of Yahweh figure, he's he's different. He's special. He's he's separate, but he's also the same as as Yahweh. You can see him, you can encounter him, and so. What are the two main ways then, Nick, that uh, people have 
sort of used as these umbrella uh, trajectories for identifying the angel of Yahweh. Yeah, so uh, there, uh, representation theory and then identity theory, uh, and I guess the theories, right? Because um, especially for the representation theories, there are several different ways that that's taken. So let's let's deal with the representation theory uh, category first. And there's a there's a rabbinic maxim that goes, a man's agent is himself, and I think that best summarizes the representation theory. So. Basically, it comes down to this. The angel of Yahweh is not Yahweh, but rather he is Yahweh's agent. He is Yahweh's messenger. Angel means messenger, right? So, uh, so for example, uh, when the angel of Yahweh speaks in the first person, Judges 2, verse 1 is a good example. I will never break my covenant with you. When that happens, it is not unlike what Moses does in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 through 6, where it is Moses who is speaking to Israel. Verse 2 tells us that, and he is kind of recounting the the narrative there. And then he breaks into that and he says, I am Yahweh your God. Now, we would never say Moses is Yahweh. So why would we say the angel of Yahweh is Yahweh? He is merely speaking representationally as Yahweh's agent or Yahweh's messenger, just like Moses was Yahweh's agent or Yahweh's messenger. That's how the argument kind of goes. A guy by the name of Rene Lopez is a uh, big proponent of this out of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's written articles working to identify the angel of uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament and, and, and really arguing for this representation theory. And while that can be persuasive, I don't think the example specifically Moses here, the example I don't think is conclusive enough to universalize and therefore include the angel of Yahweh. The difficulty with representation theories is in distinguishing between the two separate entities. That's the challenge. Right. Uh, Nevertheless, there are a wide variety of theories of who this representative for Yahweh is. Isn't there, Alex? Yeah, and and what you said there, I want to reemphasize the difficulty in the representation theory is distinguishing between two separate entities. There's no difficulty in distinguishing between Moses and Yahweh when Moses speaks on behalf of Yahweh, when he says, thus saith Yahweh, I am Yahweh. When he said, there's no difficulty distinguishing there. And there really isn't any difficulty in any other case except for the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, and Yahweh. That's where the blurring comes in and where it's difficult. And the pattern is, it's it's just that character, that guy, whoever he is, that is really difficult to distinguish between him and Yahweh. It's not difficult to distinguish between Moses and Yahweh. That's easy. So that's, uh, I think, a good point. You know, mm-hmm. there, are, uh, there are a few writers in the Second Temple era, the time between, oh, let's say around 400 B.C. to 70 A.D. There are a few writers in that period who are commenting. These are Jewish writers commenting on the Old Testament, and they, they do throw out the conflation uh, of the angel of Yahweh with the archangel Michael, which would fall under this representation theory. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, they continue that trajectory today, but instead of the 
Jesus is the angel of the Lord is Yahweh equation. They say Jesus is the angel of the Lord is the archangel Michael. So that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses take this. And I'm sure they probably quote a few of those Second Temple writers. But that uh, particular conflation didn't really hold up during the Second Temple, nor into the uh, uh, you know later centuries after the church began, um, or even during the first century. That didn't work in the Old Testament because Michael, here's the key thing where this falls apart, Michael is just one of the princes. He's the he's the prince over Israel. He's a prince, but he's not the prince of princes. He's not the commander of the entire hosts. He's just one of the princes under the hosts. And so there were still others above Michael, like the man in linen, who comes to Daniel after fighting the prince of Persia in Daniel chapter 10. 10, 10 verse 13 is where you can find that. So yeah, this still affects uh, different belief groups even today. Well, what's the second theory, Nick? Well, b- before we get there, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Michael. I, um, a little story here. When I was in Arizona, one of the older uh, members, he used, he was an elder uh, before moving to Arizona, and he wanted to go to this uh, the Seventh-day Adventists were uh, – holding some kind of meeting or something, and so he wanted to go. I was like, all right, I'll go with you. So we go, and Seventh-day Adventists apparently also believe that uh, Michael is the angel of the Lord or Michael is um, Jesus or something. There's some kind of conflation there. And uh, at one point, uh, this guy's name was Carl, he he starts talking during this guy's presentation and disagreeing with him. <laughs> I thought for sure we we're going to get kicked out, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he vehemently disagreed with this Seventh Day Adventist preacher that was talking about Michael that way. But uh, uh, speaking of Michael, um, also Melchizedek, interesting connection in uh, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls of Mel, uh, what is it, the Heavenly Something of Melchizedek. They the the Qumran sect also apparently conflated Michael with the angel of the Lord, or at least the Daniel seven figure in the War Scroll. Um, later, Rabbinic Judaism saw David as uh, at least in Daniel seven in particular. Um, this one, like a son of man, they said that's David, and then even later, Rabbi said, "Well, it's actually Metatron," and you know Metatron, <laughs> sure, right. Alex. So. <laughs> But yeah, Metatron's representation the, uh, theory. Metatron's the new name that Enoch gets when he's taken up into heaven. It's his uh, heavenly, new heavenly identity. But of course, that that idea with Enoch wasn't developed until um, far in the in the Middle Ages, like uh, the Book of Second Enoch, the Book of Third Enoch. Those are later rabbinic uh, writings, not to be confused with First Enoch, which is actually quite old, goes back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. But uh, Metatron, that's a cool name, right? Sounds like a Transformer. <laughs> Metatron. <laughs> so representation theory. It's got its problems. Yeah. yeah. Whereas there's what's called identity theory, which I think is uh, a better way of viewing uh, the angel of Yahweh and resolving whatever problems may be uh, in, inherent in, well, who is it? Is it angel of Yahweh or is it Yahweh? 
What identity theory contends is that the angel of Yahweh is a personification of God himself. The big word for this is theophany. Uh, and it's a, it's a manifestation of uh, God personally. Um, some, perhaps even many Christians, I think, refine this even further uh, so that the angel of Yahweh is actually a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. And the big word for that is Christophany. Uh, one important thing to mention, I think, is that all church fathers prior to Augustine were identity theorists because they all attributed Old Testament theophanies to the Son. And a guy by the name of Gunther Junker, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, <laughs> uh, has written a paper called Christ as Angel. And and he, it's a 30-some-odd page document, and he only goes through like three guys. Uh, Justin Martyr's one. No, he actually goes through four because Irenaeus is in there. There's another guy named Theophilus, and then there's uh, Tertullian. But then he, at, in the conclusion, he's like, and then there's all these other guys. He names like a dozen other guys who were writing in the right, early church right. and says they all did the same thing. They all viewed, they all actually talk about Christ as an angel. And they get that because uh, these early church guys, Justin Martyr, and then these guys kind of follow his trajectory. They read from the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And Isaiah 9 and verse 6, we're familiar with this. This is the text that we preach at Christmas time, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. a child was born to us, a son was given uh, to us, whose leadership came upon his shoulder, is how the Septuagint reads. And his name is called, get this, Messenger of the Great Council is how the Lexham English Septuagint translates it. But what's the Greek term for messenger? Angelos. That's right. <laughs> Angelos, angel. And so these guys had no problem saying, yeah, Christ, he's an angel. But they also came back and they said, angel, not a created being. They had no, they, they were very adamant. He is, Christ is God, but right. he's also an angel. He's the messenger of God and they were really really spun out on John Gospels uh, Gospel of John as well. Yep, and and therefore again prior to Augustine, these guys had no problem saying, yeah, he's an. And even after Augustine, you, you still have some in the writings of the Church Fathers who, or the early Church writers who uh, uh, talk about Christ as an angel as well. Uh, indeed, the angel of Yahweh. As, again, he's the messenger. So. Uh, that's just another proof to my ongoing theory that Augustine ruined everything. That guy. Don't <clears throat> like him. Yeah. I'm well, again him. I'm again him. He's still got First Peter 3, verses 18 through 20 right. But anyway. No. That's off air. Sword play. <laughs> you. Sneaky snake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pre-Augustine church was so much better. Yeah. Read read everything before Augustine, and you'll be just fine. Uh, well, Nick, let's let's make our conclusions, and people can probably already tell by now. But who do you say the angel of Yahweh is? Sort of give your explanation. What are your reasons for that? Okay, going through the biblical texts, uh, repeatedly we were asking the question: Who? Who was it? Uh, when the account when the account include when the account includes. References to the angel of Yahweh as well as Yahweh. Was it Yahweh or was it the angel of Yahweh? Right? We did that again and again. 
And it seems the biblical authors are intentionally fuzzy on this because they intended the answer to be yes. Yes, it's Yahweh. Yes, it's angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh is Yahweh. Uh, He is not merely an agent of Yahweh, one of countless angels selected to stand in for Yahweh until Yahweh is ready to turn and come down and do work himself. Uh, So for me, the angel of Yahweh is to be identified with Yahweh God. It is, at the very least, a theophany. Now that, of course, we can go to the next question. The next step further is, well, can we go further and say that the angel of Yahweh is a manifestation of God the Son in the Hebrew Bible, a Christophany? Yes, yes, and yes. The angel of Yahweh is the visible form of Yahweh as a man in likeness. Yahweh looking like a man. Jesus, though, is the visible form of Yahweh actually as a man. Yahweh became a man. The continuity is striking. Where the angel of Yahweh ends, the incarnation of Yahweh begins. In addition, both Yahweh's maintain their own identity. They have their own, insert fancy word, hypostasis. Hypostasis. Mm. The Father and the Son are one in essence, but they are still two persons. The Jewish teaching on this was called the two powers in heaven. That teaching was not deemed heretical until the second century AD. Hmm. I wonder Mm. what happened before the second century AD that would have sparked that debate. Hmm. Mm. If only Mm. we could identify some huge religious movement begun in the first century that made Jews feel uncomfortable about Yahweh existing in two persons. Hmm. Mm. Well, yes, Jewish binitarianism, uh, you know, that's not talking about Christian Trinitarianism, Jewish binitarianism. That was the norm. That was normal until Christianity said that Jesus is that second power in heaven. He's the second Yahweh. He's the visible Yahweh. The roots of Jewish binitarianism was, get ready for it, the Old Testament, which laid out this idea as we saw in all the verses covered concerning the angel of the Lord. And there was quite a few of them. And so... You might need to listen to this episode a couple times to let it sink in because it's it's data heavy. It's a lot of data. And mm. that's just Old Testament, right? We haven't even yeah. given a New Testament update. That's right. And I think um, one of the challenges, at least, uh, Alex, for our uh, fellowship, Churches of Christ, we have for a long time kind of discounted the Old Testament well, you know, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians, right? And so I think part of the the challenge um, is some members may be working uphill on this because we're just simply not as familiar with our Old Testament as we should be. But, uh, you know, as we pointed out, um, the Septuagint was the Bible of the early church. It's what Paul read. It's what... Uh, uh, the early church writers read, right? It's what Peter read and, and what they quote from, by and large, uh, right. for the most part. Sometimes they throw but, a targum in, sometimes sure. they quote from the Hebrew. About but 80% probably. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a high number, a high figure. That was their Bible, and yes. it's our Bible too. Two-thirds of your Bible is Old Testament. Maybe more if i I got to remember. But anyway, yep. three-fourths. 
And so a bunch. A, a lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot of this will be new if we have not spent the time in the Old Testament as we should have, and that can also contribute to uh, the the challenge here as well. But Alex, we are New Testament Christians, so what's the New Testament update for us when it comes to the angel of Yahweh? Okay, so let's read these verses with the backdrop of the angel of the Lord in mind and the idea of theophany and Christophany. And let's just see if maybe this makes sense, right? So John chapter 8, verses 56 through 57. uh, Jesus, this is the debate right before he leads up to saying, before Abraham, I am. And then they pick up stones to to kill him because he claims to be God, the I am that showed up to, um, uh, to to the patriarchs. And so right before he says that, it says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So it's past tense. When did that happen? Well, we mentioned occasions where the angel of the Lord went and met with Abraham. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, he has. He's seen Abraham and Abraham has seen him. And like I said, we covered that. The angel of the Lord, he does meet with Abraham. Abraham sees the word of the Lord who comes to him in a vision. Eats with him, right? Genesis 18. Okay, here's another verse. Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus uh, lamenting over Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Now, wait a second. How old is Jesus when he's saying this? About 33? She's like, how come he's speaking as if he's been trying to reach these people for ages hmm. right speaks of killing the prophets well which would that's a long that happened a long time ago right the prophets span over hundreds and hundreds of years stone those who are sent to her listen the last prophet to die in jesus's life, lifetime was john the baptist he didn't say prophet he says prophets plural so what is jesus talking about he's talking about his role as the god of israel he is their father. He's the son of the father. They're one. That's uh, all through, you know, John's gospel especially. But it's just a, it's an interesting statement that he would have this figure where he wanted to gather them over and over and over again, but they were unwilling. It's like he's talking about multiple occasions that this happened. So read that with the backdrop of the angel of the Lord then. Uh, Jude, the book of Jude, verse 5. This is a manuscript issue. Jude says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And we looked at that, right? Was it Yahweh who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, or was it the angel of the or the angel of Yahweh? And we saw both passages. Well, get this. Early manuscripts for the book of Jude, and thus the English Standard Version translates it this way, says that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. There you have it, folks. That's a Holy Spirit-inspired proof text that the New Testament Christians, Jude specifically, considers Jesus to be the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, Yahweh in the Old Testament, because it says Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Not Yahweh, not the angel of Yahweh, Jesus, because they are one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, referring to the Exodus, And all drank the same spiritual drink, 
for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And so, you know, when they were out in the desert, God supernaturally provided them water through a rock which Moses struck and was supposed to speak to the second time, but instead struck. And 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, the rock was Christ. Hmm. Now that's very interesting because what if the rock that followed them around that gave them water, what if that really was a physical manifestation of Christ, not in the form of a man, not in the likeness of a man like the angel of the Lord, but in the likeness of a rock or, or a mountain or a cliff or whatever it looked like? Wouldn't that explain why Moses is punished so severely for striking it when he was supposed to speak to it? That's interesting. It's like, you you hit me. <laughs> you hit me with a staff, and I, I told you not to do that. I told you to speak. So very interesting. Uh, those are just a handful of New Testament updates where you read those again, and you're like, wait a second. Maybe there is something to this angel Jesus is the angel of the Lord, is Yahweh trajectory. Hmm. And it's not that far of a step because, I mean, we already believe Jesus is Yahweh, that they are both, in essence, Yahweh. Uh, in the beginning right. was the Word, yeah. the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Of the same essence, two separate persons. John makes that clear, chapter 1. So we already believe that. So all we're doing is we're saying that Jesus was active in the Old Testament but he wasn't called Jesus because he wasn't a man yet, but he did show up like a man, and they just called him the angel of the Lord because they didn't know what to call him. He was a messenger. And so what did they call him? They called him the angel of the Lord. When he had his sword drawn out, they recognized him as the commander of the hosts of Yahweh. So that is the New Testament update. Nick, anything else? Well, just as you were talking, and you know, you mentioned John eight fifty six fifty seven. 57. That's one of the primary books that these uh, early church writers spun out on when it came to Christ as angel. And what came to my mind was John seven sixteen, where Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Hmm. And so once again, Jesus, the messenger, and he brings the message of God right. uh, with him. And so <clears throat> Christ note. is God. That's right. And at the same time, he's this messenger, this this angel. That's right. But not a created being. That's right. Because he's God. That's right. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, today, you know, it's the first episode of what we're calling Swordplay Season 3. And we have something new for you, folks, for Swordplay Season 3. Today, we are starting a new segment of Swordplay called The Featured Creature. The That's Featured right. Creature. Featured Creature. Believe it or not, folks. Featured Creature. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> It's not always going to be scary. Most of the time it will be. Believe it or not, your Bible contains references to some pretty strange creatures. Mm. So we'll give you a quick overview of what these creatures are each week. So hopefully, you know, it's not supposed to turn into another episode. It's just it's just a quick little, little uh, breakdown, some bullet points of the featured creature. So this week's featured creature is Lilith. Nick, who is Lilith? So a few years ago, I took a phone call from a church member asking me if I had heard of Lilith, Adam's first wife. Fortunately, I had, because <laughs> um, that's the legend. The legend is that Lilith was Adam's first wife. She refused to submit to him and flew off after a fight. 
Well, that's good legend, I guess, but it's poor Bible because you don't read that in the Bible. Uh, Lilith appears in only one place. Um, there may be uh, uh, another reference in the Psalms, but uh, specifically Lilith is, you find it in Isaiah thirty-four fourteen. My English Standard Version translates it as nightbird. Interestingly, the New Revised Standard translates it as Lilith, <laughs> a proper name. Uh, Isaiah thirty-four fourteen from the New Revised Standard. Wild cats shall meet with hyenas. Goat demons shall call to each other. There too Lilith shall repose and find a place to rest. Now this is a prophecy concerning Edom and how Edom's going out of business and it will be turned into this uninhabitable wasteland. And only, well, goat demons and Lilith will be there. Um, and Lilith from the Hebrew, uh, Lilith, um, this is, again, the only reference to the proper name in the Bible, uh, though there may be these other ancillary references, and Alex is going to sweep that up for us. But best we can tell, this is a malevolent spiritual entity, perhaps a female demon, whose diabolical activities include attacking women in childbirth and also attacking their newborn children. Uh, pop culture reference, the king of Lilith is one Pazuzu. And you may remember, if you watched the movie, The Exorcist, that's actually the demon that possessed the girl Reagan in the movie, uh, Pazuzu. And so, Alex, what else can you tell us about Lilith? All right. Well, the Hebrew uh, Lilith is etymologically related to another Hebrew word, Layla, which means night. Thus, the New American Standard uh, that I use, it translates Lilith in Isaiah 34, 14 as the night monster. A subtle reference to Lilith may be seen in Psalm 91, verse 5, where it says, You will not be afraid of the terror by night. Well, Psalm 91 is uh, well known for having many other names of supernatural entities within the underlying Hebrew, which I'm sure will pop up on other featured creatures. So, terror by night, night monster. In the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh, Lil, which is probably the same as Lilith, makes her nest in a mystical tree, also inhabited by a supernatural snake and bird. Notice how in Isaiah 34, 15, the next verse, mentions the tree snake and hawks settling in the place of destruction, likely making Isaiah 34, 14 through 15, a reference to the Sumerian epic. In the Septuagint of Isaiah 34, verse 14, the Greek says, Daimonion will settle in the place of destruction. That's right, Daimonion, the Greek word for demons. Oh, it also mentions donkey centaurs, but that's for another week. Most <laughs> of the lore developed around Lilith comes from the Talmud and Jewish Midrash, which is like Jewish uh, commentary, in the first millennium A.D., but the ideas that Lilith wants to harm newlyweds, pregnant women, and babies are traits that go all the way back to a, a Mesopotamian demon named Lamashtu. These traits also go along with incubus and succubus demons described all around the world. So, be sure to close your windows at night, for the next gust of wind could be Lilith wanting to kill your baby or steal your semen. At the very least, you should install a storm screen. 
<laughs> um, and that's this week's featured creature. Well, here, here's my question about Lilith, right? If if she is trying to attack women in childbirth or try to get their newborn children or try to steal men's semen, why is she out in the uninhabited barren wasteland, right? I mean, <laughs> she should be in the town or in the city. <laughs> But I digress. That's that's the legend, I guess. But yeah, something about the night associated with the night. That's that's her territory. That's her domain. And the night uh, monster, the, the deserts, the demon, uh, the wastelands. That's that's a common trope in the ancient Near East for the dwelling place of demons. And so, when God says He's going to destroy a place and leave it a, a desert and a wasteland, uh, that also means that that will be the inhabitants. Uh, of demons of demonic spirits because that's where they live that's their domain that's their territory um yeah so install those storm screens watch out for lilith featured creature featured creature well nick any final comments uh i had fun that was fun fun episode angel of yahweh and then the featured creature new feature on the podcast i think that's a good good addition all right. I, I had fun, too. It's good to be back, and we'll see you guys uh, uh, next next week, of course, for another episode. But uh, until then, Nick, uh, t- tell our audience what they can do to help the podcast. Yeah, so uh, if you want to go back in the archives, Season 1 and 2, available in the, um, what, the iTunes Store, the Google Play Music Store, go in there. Uh, you can download episodes. Uh, leave a review. Uh, about the podcast that'll help boost its ratings in those respective stores share it on social media if you want as well help get the word out about the podcast in that way alex if folks have a question can they send it somewhere yep send your questions to swordplaypodcast at gmail.com swordplaypodcast at gmail.com thanks again for listening to uh the podcast we'll see you next time on another episode of swordplay swordplay